Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here this morning. It's such a privilege to be here. I just, it's always like a spiritual homecoming when I get to be here. I praise God for the fact that you have so many gifted people within your own body who are able to, uh, who are able to preach. Uh, but it does, but it does, but it doesn't mean I don't get called on as much to help out. And that you know, so it's a mixed blessing. So I am thankful to be here this morning. Um, let me pray and we'll get started. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be here, but I'm equally thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the way that you have blessed it. I'm thankful for the way that you have formed it. And I'm thankful for the way that you have um, worked powerfully through it. I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm thankful for your word. And I just, with a heart full of gratitude for you and the things that you are accomplishing here, I pray you would speak through me, God, and that you would speak powerfully through your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time I was here, I spoke on prayer, and this time uh, I, I, was, uh, I was asked to come, and I said, well, where, where are you at? What would you like for me to speak on? And they said, well, we're, we're just starting the book of Ephesians, and we're in, uh, you would land at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and um, as God would have it, that's a section on prayer. And so I thought to myself, oh dear, you know, when God has you do, you know, when God repeats things, it's usually a point of emphasis, which means, and this is God's way of telling me I have some work to do in my prayer life, which is is true. Um, you know, it's it's something that I'm something I'm working on, and uh, and so it was. I was like, oh no, this is a week where I'm just gonna uh, get the tar kicked out of me, and you know, feel bad all week about my own inadequacies. And and the reality is, it's something very different than that. Uh, this has been such an encouraging week for me. And I hope the same is true for you, that as we get into this passage, we see that it is a, uh, uh, a really encouraging passage and, and a great way, just as Paul prays for his church in Ephesus, to see the ways that God uh, works powerfully through and, uh, and in some sense, through his word, prays for this church. Um, See, the world looks at us in terms of we are what we do. What you do defines who you are. So in, oftentimes you hear people will say, well, tell me about yourself. And you say, well, I work at a bank, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a, uh, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a mother, I have three kids, I've got, uh, you know, I, I go paddleboarding, or I like to kayak. Or I run marathons. What we do defines who we are. And to me, one of the core points of Ephesians is that that isn't the way. That is the way the world really works. The way the world really works is who we believe we are informs what we do. It isn't that what we do informs what we are. And that's why. Paul goes to such great lengths at the beginnings of Ephesians to talk to us about all of the things that we are and what it means to be predestined, all of the spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us, what it means to be children of God and to be forgiven and to be redeemed and to be 
the uh, recipients of this inheritance, what it means to be united with God in Christ and to have a deposit on that inheritance in the form of the Holy Spirit. Um, And that is an amazing, amazing place for us to start from. And then God, and then Paul prays that we would understand those things in the idea that we would, once we truly understand them, once we're truly rooted in who we are as God's people, we would act on that. That it is one through three in Ephesians really talks about who we are in light of Christ. So that at the beginning of chapter four, Paul Uh, Quote, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so understanding a little bit of chapters 1 through 3, defining who we are, chapters 4 through 6, now live in light of that. And so that's that's where we find ourselves this morning is that Paul is praying that we would truly understand who we are, that we might walk in a manner worthy of that. And that prayer applies to us, and so we want to spend some time and talk about that today. Passage reads, for this reason, and the reason is because of all the things we just talked about, all the spiritual blessings that have been bestowed upon us, for the reason that these people, having believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, that these people are the redeemed people of God, and that they are displaying that. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul prays not out of a place of concern, not out of a place of reprimand, but he prays for this church out of a place of thanksgiving. And I want to start by saying that I I pray for you out of a place of thanksgiving as well, that I see how you have been faithful in your giving. I see how you have been faithful in your support of your leadership. I see how you have been faithful in the word, that you are faithful to grow both in depth and in width. I see how you are faithful in ministry to, uh, to the people within this body and especially the young people within this body. It was so neat to, to uh, see that report this morning. And so, as we look at this passage, know that uh, there are people on the outside that look at this church and say, wow, they're doing some really neat things there. 
and I'm thankful to God for you. Uh, and that's where Paul comes from as he, as he addresses this prayer. And I think that that's the posture in which we should look at this prayer for our own lives too, especially in, in this body of believers. Uh, every church has issues. If they didn't, they would as soon as, certainly as soon as I walked in the door. But, um, but every church has issues. You know, if, if you're here, every church has issues. Um, because every person in the church has issues. And the fact that Paul's prayer of thankfulness identifies a church not as flawless, but as uh, God's. We sometimes have a tendency to focus on the negative. Oh, I wish they did more hymns. Oh, I wish they did fewer hymns. Oh, I wish the pastor would talk a little longer and get a little deeper. Oh, I wish the pastor wasn't so boring. Oh, I wish, you know, oh, I wish they didn't talk about giving. Oh, I wish they, you know, beat you over the head with, you know, the need. Um, We tend to focus on the negative. But... And I like the way Bonhoeffer puts this. He says, The Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. I think Paul serenely thinks of his fellowship and prays for it from a posture of thankfulness. And I hope you feel the same, that instead of focusing on the, the negative, the things that you wish the church did maybe a little differently or maybe even a little better, uh, that you realize that this is a privilege. Apart from Christ, and this is a evidence of God's power. We're going to see this in the passage too, but the fact that Most of us have very little in common with one another. Most of us, if it were not for Jesus, wouldn't know each other. And yet we are a community that joins together, supports one another, encourages one another, builds one another up. Uh, And that is, it's an evidence of God's power in and of itself. And the church is that. And so rather than looking at the church, the local church and the global church, uh, as an ideal which we must realize, uh, look at it as a reality created by God in which we may participate, that it is a privilege and an evidence of God's grace that we're able to join together. I remember when my, uh, when my dad passed away. Um, I felt a peace beyond understanding. That I felt much more peaceful about it than I should have. And I knew it was because of the prayer of God's people. And I was talking to a woman who had lost her husband, and we were talking about just the value of the church. And she said, you know, people, people say, you know, that they are uh, believe in Jesus but don't want to participate in the church. And she said, I don't understand why. And I was like, you know what? I don't either. 
It is a, it is a blessing to be a part of a church. And it is a point of thankfulness. And Paul reminds us of that in this passage. Um, I, I do want to say, too, I think this prayer applies to all believers. Uh, that it is for the church of Ephesus. Paul's praying for this church. But the truths in Ephesians 1 apply to us. And the charge to live in light of that knowledge also applies to us. And the wisdom of that knowledge. And so I think this prayer applies to us. And I'll be preaching from that perspective. And Paul prays that a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ would come upon the church of Ephesus. And as we know, or as we know Christ, as we know what we are in Christ, and as we have wisdom to apply this knowledge, our actions change to be in alignment with this knowledge. Knowledge is stuff you know. Wisdom is how to apply it. When you think of wisdom literature, often we think of Proverbs. And um, Proverbs have to be looked at a little differently than, say, Ephesians 1. Uh, that it is, they're not absolute. In fact, there are Proverbs that contradict one another. In our, own, in our own culture, we have Proverbs that contradict one another. Sometimes we say out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes we say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And they're both true. It's just that wisdom is how we apply it. And so when Paul prays for the church of Ephesus that they would have knowledge and have wisdom... He's saying, I want them to have knowledge to understand the hope, the inheritance, and the power of God. But I also want them to have wisdom to apply it. And so we'll be talking about the knowledge and the wisdom of God in this. Um, and Paul prays that this would happen as the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. And our heart in this passage is it's our moral will. It's our essence. It's our being, that, uh, that in the, the depths of our understanding, who we are fundamentally, we would have an intimate knowledge and wisdom about these things. Because a lot of times we have an intellectual knowledge. God is all-powerful. God's omnipotent. But then we live our lives as if God is not. And he's praying that God would give us the wisdom to apply that knowledge. Uh, the first thing that he asks us, or that he asks that God would grant this church, is the hope to which he has called you. I want to argue that hope gives us an eternal perspective. That the way that we apply our knowledge of the hope that God has given us is that it gives us an eternal perspective. And you may remember biblical, biblically the definition of hope from Hebrews is the assurance of things unseen. And I remember I was at a youth, I was at a youth camp, Hume Lake. I don't know if your students go there or if have, have ever been there, uh, but they have what's called a ropes course there. And they have these ropes, and it's this course that you're up 40 feet over the ground, and I have a terrible fear of heights. You're up 40 feet on the ground, you're on this little, the first thing you start off with is this like four by four board. And it's not even flat, it's angled. And you have to walk across this thing like 10 feet. And you know, you're on ropes, so intellectually I knew that the ropes would support me, right, if I fell. But in my heart, 
I could not put that first step on that four by four because I just didn't heart-wise believe that everything was going to hold me and I wasn't going to fall to my death. And so don't ask me the logic of this, but I eventually told them, I got to a point, look, I can't cross this thing until I have confidence that these ropes are going to hold me. So is it okay if I just jump off the plank? <laughs> and they said, sure, we do it all the time. <laughs> so I was so scared that the ropes wouldn't hold me that I jumped off the plank to make sure the ropes would hold me. <laughs> but... Um, I know, yeah. I'm not, not the sharpest tool in the shed. I freely admit that. Thank God for God, because I don't know how I would function. Some of you would function, I can't. But anyway, so I did, you know, jumped off the thing, ropes held me, and like jumped across, darn near sprinted across that, you know, four by four, went through the ropes course, everything was fine. But I had to get to a place from intellectual knowledge, hey, they wouldn't let me come on this thing if these ropes wouldn't hold, to a heart knowledge of these things can really support me. I couldn't get to an assurance of things unseen. I had to see it before I could be assured of it. But hope is the assurance of things unseen. Hope is, the assur hope is as if we, like Paul, got to see heaven and return to earth. Uh, and note, too, that this is a calling of God. It's not based on our efforts. Paul prays that God would give the people these things. It isn't like they can just work harder to attain it. Uh, God's prayer is that God will help us know the hope to which we have been called. And what is that hope? Well, God tells us in Ephesians 1, the passage we looked at last week, what is that hope? Ephesians 1.10, our hope is that God has and will unite all things in him. That we are united in him. And who is this God to whom we are united and will be fully united? It's a God of peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He's a God of beauty. Psalm 27.4 says, uh, That will I seek after, that I may dwell on the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. He's a God of perfect goodness without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's worth noting that it isn't so much that uh, God defines good, it's that God is good, and that's what defines goodness for us. Is it God who provides joy? 1 Chronicles 16, 26 and 27 says, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. He's a God of knowledge and wisdom. 
Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding, His wisdom, and His knowledge are beyond measure. He's the God who provides rest. Hebrews 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Romans 8.28, he is the God who provides meaning and purpose for our lives. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we are united with God in a place of peace, beauty, righteousness, rest, joy, and lives with meaning and purpose. What does that sound like? It probably doesn't sound like Sonoma County in 2022. But it sounds a little like Eden, and it sounds a lot like heaven. That is our hope. That is the assurance that we have that someday we will live in a place united with God in Christ of peace and beauty and righteousness and rest and joy that we'll have lives with meaning and purpose that we will do work without toil. That God is preparing a place for us so I don't have to worry about my mortgage God is giving me work without toil so I don't have to hate my job. God is giving me a sinless relationship with one another so I don't have to worry about my marriage and my families and my friends and those relationships. Um, As we understand the hope to which we are called to be united in Him forever into a place that reflects His attributes perfectly, We live differently. There's a reason God over and over again in Scripture points people to his attributes when they're in suffering. Job calls to God asking for an audience to find out why in the world I'm a good guy, why is this bad stuff happening to me? And God never answers the question. Instead, he points Job to his attributes, specifically those of greatness. And that satisfies Job. Elijah in the wilderness. God shows him his power, shows him his attributes, and then speaks to him in the still small voice. What are we doing out here? And it satisfies him. David in Psalm 63. The Lamenter in Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never fade. Um, Over and over again, that we are pointed to his attributes, and our hope is in his attributes, that we will be united to him, both a person and a place of peace and beauty and perfect goodness and joy and perfect knowledge and wisdom and rest and meaning. St. Francis of Assisi said, wear the world like a loose-fitting garment that touches us in few places and there only slightly. 2 Corinthians 4.17 echoes this when it says, for the light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Sometimes those light and momentary afflictions don't seem so light and momentary. Um, you are, your leadership itself is struggling with some issues that don't seem so light and momentary. Uh, you know, some of you are dealing with issues that don't seem so light and momentary. I don't know about you, I saw my rent increase by 30% in less than a year. You saw gas prices increase by, you know, it seems like twofold in the last less than a year. Um, you know what? Some of you are dealing with marital issues. Some of you are dealing with financial issues. Some of you are dealing with health issues. These things may not seem light and momentary, but compared to the hope that he has called you to, a place of perfect peace and beauty and goodness and joy and wisdom and rest and purpose. And to know that these things are a breath in light of eternity. As we live with an eternal perspective, hopefully it allows us to at least keep our eyes focused on Christ, allowing us to walk through the shadow of these difficult times. Instead of, as, as happened with Peter, walking on the water, started to focus on the waves around him instead of focusing on Christ, and sank. Um, what makes afflictions light and momentary is a focus on the future and eternal glory of heaven. And what allows us to ask the question, how much will this really matter in a hundred years? is keeping our eyes focused on the hope of eternity. And when we live with an eternal perspective, the worries of this world are overshadowed by that future and eternity, that time when we will be united with Christ, so that we can truly wear the world like a loose-fitting garment that touches us in few places and there only slightly. The second thing called Paul prays for his people this church is that they would understand and have wisdom regarding the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And as we sang this morning, that inheritance is Christ's. It's not ours, but we in Christ share in that inheritance. And you may ask what that inheritance is. And I think that's answered for us in Hebrews 12 too. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. That that inheritance of Christ is us. And this is where I say, I think I, I actually talked about this last time I was here, that I believe firmly and fundamentally when Christ was on the cross, he thought about me. And he thought about you. And he thought about any of us as believers. Individually. I think in his capacity, he was able to do that. And I think he did. That we were the joy set before him. And just as Christ is united to us, and that's his inheritance. We, as children of God, are united in Christ to him and to one another. And we participate in that inheritance. That we are co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That as Christians, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be trouble. Nobody's separating us from the world. We're going to have hard times. But 
If we are Christians, and we'll, we'll talk about this, if we are Christians, then we will persevere through those trials, and we will be glorified with him. We are co-heirs with Christ, and we get to participate in this inheritance just as Christ did. And we have a deposit on that inheritance as if we weren't confident enough that that inheritance was real. We have the Holy Spirit. And people talk about sometimes how they really wish they could have been one of the disciples and seen Jesus and walked, in, you know, walked through Israel and these kind of things. And the reality is, while that, that might have been cool, I'd rather have the Holy Spirit. Because if you read the disciples... They didn't get it. It took the Holy Spirit for them to understand what in the world was going on anyway. I'd rather have the Holy Spirit. That's our deposit on the inheritance. Whenever you question, is there, is there an assurance of that hope? Think about the times that you have really felt, heard, experienced the Spirit of God. That's the deposit on the inheritance that we have. That's the knowledge that the veil has been torn and we are united in Christ. That we are no longer separated by our sin from Christ. Um, we are in perfect unity and harmony and love. And we will see that fulfillment in eternity. And what we received as part of that inheritance really is mercy and grace. We received, as Ephesians 1, 7 said, again, you talked about this last week, we received forgiveness and redemption. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Mercy is you don't get something that you do deserve. We deserve wrath. We deserve punishment for our sin, and yet God gives us mercy. In Him, we have redemption and forgiveness. But more than that, he gives us grace. Grace is not getting or getting something that we don't deserve. He could have just left us at, hey, you're forgiven, slate's clean, good luck. But instead, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians 1.5, Galatians 4.7 also says, so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. That's grace. We got more than we deserved. Because we're children of God. And even more than that, we have access as children of God. Romans 5.2 tells us, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That we can stand before God. We talk about prayer and looking at prayer as a discipline in the bad sense, looking at it as a burden, what a privilege it is to be able to stand before God and present our requests. Um, if I had the opportunity to go talk to a senator or a congressman or the president, no matter who was in office, whether I liked him or not, whether I appreciated the political views or not, I would take that opportunity. Because who knows what words I say could have an effect for, um, for good. 
we have the opportunity to go before God in prayer. And we know that prayer, the prayers of a righteous person accomplishes things. We have access, and that access is an amazing inheritance. We have knowledge. That Holy Spirit that is our inheritance, that is the deposit on the fullness of that inheritance, it says when the Spirit of truth comes in John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He'll guide you into all truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I know, shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That we have a deposit on that knowledge. The Spirit of God will guide us into truth. All truth. And we will have a fullness of that knowledge. Now we see dimly, then we'll see face to face. And the last thing that we have as part of this inheritance, the deposit of which is the Holy Spirit, is assurance. And over, over and over again, studies show that if children are assured, they feel assured of the love of their parents, they live more normalized lives than if they feel like they have to earn the love and affection of their parents. And that makes sense, right? If, we're, if we feel like we have it, instead of having to earn it, we um, you know, basically we relax a little bit. Um, and we can live without fear. Well, God gives us that. Our inheritance is certain. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Again, you looked at last week. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And in those days, if something was sealed, it was only someone of a equal or higher rank that could unseal. Well, the only... Thing of the only thing of equal or higher rank than God is God. So if God seals it, the only one who can unseal it is God. So if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, guess what? You can't lose that. We are assured of that inheritance of unity with God forever. And we know today is a deposit on that. God is working for our good. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We can have assurance that God is always working for us. Knowing what you have received in Christ, forgiveness, redemption, status, access, knowledge, assurance, we can live lives of gratitude, thankful for all we've been given. Harvard Health states, that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. The gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. God gives us in our inheritance a lot of reasons to be grateful, no matter what situation we're in. Because I think he wants these things for us, ultimately. James 1, 2 through 4 says we can have joy in trials because we have a future inheritance. Even in the midst of trials, we can keep 
that eternal perspective based on the hope that we have. And we can have joy because we can be grateful. It isn't that the trials themselves should make us happy. It's that we can be grateful in the midst of trials for this inheritance that we have been given. We can be grateful in the midst of trials. No matter what trials you're going through, you've received forgiveness as believers. You have been redeemed. You are children of God. You have access to the Father. And you have a Spirit of God within you that gives you knowledge and a Spirit of God within you that reminds you of the assurance that those things, that inheritance cannot be taken away. We are redeemed, forgiven children of God, no matter what our circumstances are. And if we couple that with the hope that gives us eternal perspective, even in the midst of our trials, we can have contentment. We can have joy. And we can have gratitude. Third thing that Paul prays for this church is that the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, that we would know, understand, and have wisdom regarding that. And understand, this is a wisdom of God toward believers, not against them. And if you're filling in notes, uh, that equates to confidence. It's the power of God toward believers. And that's power and might have been displayed through Christ. And this power toward believers is in accordance with that displayed toward Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. The most powerful person you know has no power over death. The President of of the United States, most powerful person you can see on TV probably, has no power over death. The best doctors in the world have no power over death. Satan himself, as we see in the book of Job, has no power over death. And Satan had the authority to offer Jesus all of the power of all of the kingdoms of the world, past, present, and future. Has no power over death. Only God has power over death. And God displayed that power by raising Jesus. Ephesians 1.20a says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And seated him at the right hand of the Father over every rule and authority. That thing that Satan tempted Jesus with, the Father granted him. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then grants Christ as head of the church. And he put all things, Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We as the church have the power of Christ working for us. We have victory over death in front of us. And we represent Christ and are, the, are able to display Christ's power to the world around us. Can you live in greater confidence knowing that? And Paul, from a place of thankfulness, prays for the church of Ephesus. 
Just as Paul wants the Ephesian church to know on a heart level the hope, the inheritance, and the power of the believer, God wants us to live in light of these things. Not just to know them, but to have wisdom and to act in the power of these things and the knowledge of these things. Hope gives us an eternal perspective that we wear the world like a loose-fitting garment. Christ's inheritance directed at all of God's children should give us gratitude, even in the trials of life. It should give us joy and contentment. God's power directed toward us instead of against us, working for the good of all believers as we love God and are called according to His purposes. And God's shown us in Christ that He has victory over death. God the Father has placed Christ as the most powerful being over the biggest issues you face. In a world that seems defeated and, quote, post-Christian, end quote, God's power isn't silent. This church, Christ's church, is a representation of that power that raises people from the dead. It is, has behind it and within it that power to change lives, to change cultures, to change communities, to change families. And that power should give us confidence in our actions as we love God and are called according to his purposes, as we apply wisdom to this knowledge. And like Paul praying for the Ephesian church, I pray for this church as we grow in our knowledge and wisdom of the hope and the inheritance and the power of God. We grow in our eternal perspective, walking on the water more and falling into the sea a little less. As we grow in our knowledge and wisdom of the inheritance granted to Christ for us, praying we grow in gratitude, thanking God for his love and his mercy and his grace for us. And as we grow in our knowledge and wisdom of God's power directed toward us, and pray that we'd become more fearless and more confident, knowing that God is constantly working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, even in a world that seems like maybe God's not in control anymore. Maybe God's left the proverbial building. God is still moving toward his goals his ends, and applying his power through his church. I just pray that we all grow in this knowledge and wisdom. Let's pray. And we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the assurances that we get in it. We're thankful for the way, the things you have given us and the way that we can have wisdom in applying it. We're thankful for the way that you have brought us together as a community of redeemed people. And God, we pray, if there's anyone in the hearing of my voice, God, who has heard about the um, spiritual blessings bestowed upon believers and desires to take a step of faith, to confess Jesus as Lord, believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, God, we pray that you would give them the courage to rise up to say something to someone here, to find me, to find Kelly, to find Tim, and talk. 
And we just pray your blessing on this church, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.